When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Totally Football Show, European edition. Today, top two clashes in Germany and Spain. Real Madrid and Bayer Leverkusen going five points clear after giving Bayern and Girona a jolly good seeing too. We'll hear how, plus we'll look ahead to the Champions League last 16 this midweek. PSG, Man City and more. We'll catch up on Serie A and a mixed weekend for the Inzaghi brothers and get a special report from the Coupe d'Ivoire on Sunday's AFCON final. It's the Totally Football Show. Hey there, listener. It's Monday the 12th of February. Big hello to you. We've got a huge Euro Totally Football show coming up for you. Featuring here in the studio, Alvaro Romeo. Hi, Alvaro. Hola. Hola. James Horncastle also here. Hello, James. And good afternoon to you. Fresh back from Leverkusen. Very much the place to be this weekend. It's Raphael Honigstein. Hello, James. Did you leave at half-time, Raph? Did you? I did not. <laughs> no. It was only one and a half-time. That's true. Although the writing very much on the wall. Mm. Anyway, we'll talk about that game very shortly. Where's Julian Laurent? Well, he's on his way somewhere, but we're going to catch up with him a little bit later on. Uh, oh, plus we've got a special guest today, Daniel Story, who'll be reliving the drama of the AFCON final Sunday night. He was there at the stadium in Epimbe, and we'll be, uh, we'll be getting his thoughts on Ivory Coast's dramatic win. Woof. Let's have a moment of the weekend right now, though. Alvaro, boom. Well, I think my moment of the weekend is um, going to be Pablo Fornals scoring a goal five years after he left La Liga. In the suelo, the jugador del Cádiz, William Joseba, jugar con Fornals. Fornals, chuta, muerta, qué golazo! Gol, 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 de Pablo Fornals! He played for Betis. Um, good signing by Betis, by the way, considering that Isco picked an injury that is going to keep him a couple of months out. And Betis needed to win because uh, they are in the mix to qualify for Europe. And Pablo Fornals scored not only a goal, but a beautiful one as well, because he got the ball at the edge of the box. He did a very nice feint over the defender. Half a step over, half feint, I would say. And then he carled it into the net with a beautiful shot. And, you know, it's good to have him back. He's a very good footballer, under-21 uh, winner with Spain uh, four years ago. And, um, you know, it was a beautiful goal and a great welcome to him. Fantastic. Good weekend for Andalusian football, broadly speaking. We'll be touching on some of the other. And Sevilla. And the games, yeah. Of course, well, they especially. Are in Andalusia, as, as, as I understand it, no? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, that was but I was including Granada. Yeah, Granada, yeah. 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 But Sevilla's win was very special as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay, boom. We'll get on to that later on. James? Well, we'll probably talk about uh, Immobile later. So I'll go with the goal that Charles de Ketelaer scored for Atalanta against Genoa. Because just a, a beautiful goal. Controls with his right, shoots with his left, outside the box. Kind of not exactly top corner, but more or less. And yeah, just his renaissance continues apace. You know, 13 goals and assists since the beginning of December. 
um, seems to be flying on the on the Gasparini uh, and Atlanta are flying as well. So, you know, very much alone in fourth place at the moment. Um, so, yeah, no, that's it. De Ketela. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Rafa, your moment of the weekend. <sighs> James, it's injury time at the Bay Arena. Bayern Munich are 2-0 down. Manuel Neuer decides to do something. Mm. Something has to be done. Something has to be done. He runs up front for a corner. Why? Nobody really knows. Because it's 2-0 already. Mm. He loses a header. Duel for a header. The ball breaks to Jeremy Frimpong, who's just been brought on. And Frimpong runs and runs and runs and scores into an empty net. And that was not just a third goal in Leverkusen's win over Bayern, but it felt like one of those iconic moments mm. that we'll see again and again in years to come when people talk about Bayer Leverkusen winning the title. Maybe. Oh, jinxing. Maybe jinxing, you see. Because oh, uh, <laughs> if they were to blow this one, Rafa, five points clear now, if they were to stuff this one up, oh my word, Leverkusen would be tattooed on their souls for eternity. Maybe, maybe. But they still have three chances to win a trophy this year. Right. And they're still unbeaten after 31 games. Mm. And they've now won the biggest game in the second right. half of the, the season. The one that was supposed to be Bayern retaking control. But and as, as people who often try and retake control <laughs> find out, it doesn't always work out that way. I just wanted to ask one thing. On, on uh, Sunday night we were talking about this and I think Michael Cox made the point that, you know, 2-0, 3-0. Mm-hmm. But actually it could come down to goal difference at the end of the season and wouldn't it be funny if? I'm not sure it would be funny for Leverkusen. Um, but well, yeah. no, it would be, it would be. Oh, you mean the other way around? Yeah, yeah because no oh, I conceded see. that point with yeah. goal. Um, yeah. Okay, that's a little bit far fetched, but it could happen. Okay. All right. Looking forward to talking about that game. Of course, we've got Champions League last sixteen, the first legs thereof, which are getting underway Tuesday and Wednesday. Tuesday sees the side who were revelations really of the group stage, Copenhagen, taking on. The holders, Man City. It is Copenhagen's first game, though, in two months because they're on a winter break. Man City have what won ten games in a row in that time, something similar. You're not going to judge Copenhagen on their form in the Atlantic Cup. Oh, in how Portugal. have they been getting on, James? Um, well, I mean, that's where they've been playing their friendlies. Yes, uh, warm weather. Don't know how much warmer. Um, where mean, is it? Clear, where clear, is the Atlantic Cup? It's in Portugal. So oh, yeah, I mean, it's it is warmer than uh, Copenhagen, right. uh, I imagine. Um, but but yeah, not ideal, I suppose, even though they've been playing teams like Rangers. They've been playing teams like teams I can't remember off the top of my head mm. when I did the research for our Champions League preview show on TNT. Right. And uh, Google just keeps showing me the city of Copenhagen okay. rather than Copenhagen's right. results. Nice. So. Hey, you know what, listen, Google it yourself. Yeah, yep. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there you go. They're taking on Man City at Parken on Tuesday. A little quirk, Bruce and Charlie offers... Man City, champions last season, didn't win a single away game in the knockout stages. So yeah. hmm. they drew against Bayern. Was it Leipzig? Uh, Real Madrid. Real Madrid. Yeah. yeah, but I think Pep Guardiola wasn't too unhappy with that either. Mm. Worked out pretty well for them. Yeah. Uh, RB Leipzig on Tuesday will be hosting Real Madrid, mm-hmm. who themselves had a whopping win against their supposed title rivals at the weekend. 4-0, Alvaro, we're going to be coming to you on that very soon. On Wednesday, Paris Saint-Germain. They were unbeaten in 16 matches, did you know? They're hosting uh, Real Sociedad, who are not in quite such good form. And in Rome, Lazio get a visit from that where FC Bayern, who previously were massive favourites. But how will they be after the 
epochal lesson that they received at the hands of Leverkusen on the weekend? That's the question we begin with on the Totally Football Show. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Das Tor ist leer. Was macht der Frimpong? Was macht der Frimpong? Neuer ist ganz weit hinten. Frimpong am ersten vorbei. Drei Bayern-Spieler rennen nach hinten. Jetzt kommt der Schuss. Tor! Tor! Von Frimpong! Yeah, I'm not sure what they're saying there, Raph, but it sounded good for Bayer Leverkusen. 3-0 winners. As we mentioned, this was supposed to be the game where Bayern put Bayer back in their box. But quite the opposite. Five points clear now. You were at the stadium at the Bayer Arena. Tell us all about it. I mean, it was incredible. It was incredible because it was carnival mm. in the area and uh, a lot of people were dressed up inside the stadium, outside the stadium. A lot of people had already had a good time clearly celebrating. But you're going to say that there were 11 people dressed up like Bayern Munich on the mm, field. Yes, good good one, James. Uh, clowns, lots of clowns. And uh, and fake, uh, fake superheroes and all this kind of stuff. Um, the atmosphere was incredible. You could sense that the Leverkusen fans felt that this could be one of those big nights. The Bayern fans kept cheering them, but I've never, or I've rarely seen, shall I say, I've rarely seen Bayern Munich in the last few years. Certainly not since, I think, probably 2003, four when they lost against Werder, a big game. Just not show up in, in a crucial game to the extent that they didn't show up. Hardly a shot on goal. Completely bereft of energy, no sense of resilience, no sense of um, we are buying, we're not going to be beaten here. No passion. Have no they been passion. out on the carnival? Is that, mm. you know? It was, it was quite shocking, I think, even for, for neutrals who must have enjoyed the occasion. But to see Bayern just being so devoid of all the Bayern-ness that we've mm. come to expect over the last few years... As I said earlier, it felt it felt bigger than a defeat. It was just not. It wasn't just a three points. It felt like a team that is dead. Um, Spurs. And it's going to be hard. <laughs> no, much worse. It's going to be hard, I think, to turn things round now for for Thomas Tuchel. You wrote that Bayern were an embarrassment on Saturday. What word would you use by contrast for Bayer Leverkusen? You know, I'd like to tell you that they were incredible and brilliant and whatever, but they actually weren't. Really? They didn't have to be. Mm. They just played one of their games that we've seen throughout the season. They defend really well. They're great going forward. They changed the system a little bit. They were a little bit more reactive, quite happy to play on the break. But they didn't have to play one of their best games. They were just competent. They were just confident. They had a game plan. They executed it. The funny thing was that at the beginning... Bayern changed to accommodate Leverkusen, but Leverkusen had also changed to accommodate Bayern. So you had two teams who weren't quite playing their normal game. And in the first few minutes, it looked as if Bayern may take more advantage than Leverkusen because the personnel, I guess, the individual class makes it easier for them to cope. But the longer the game went on, the clearer it became that Leverkusen were very happy with the status quo and Bayern... Apart from never creating anything, they never recovered when they went 1-0 down. That reaction that we all thought would come in the second half didn't really come until very late. And even then, all they could do was put some aimless crosses into the box with mostly Eric Dyer being on the ball, which is, yeah. 
Did it's you ever not, think you'd it's not what you say want. those words? No, I didn't. I did I, not think you, that. You said uh, last week, and I think the point still stands, that uh, Bayer Leverkusen have just been absolutely exceptional, almost historic in terms of they are not dropping any points at all. And Bayern in any normal season, this is a good season in terms of what they're doing. Uh, so this dead, lifeless team, like... Uh, what, what, they totem Bayern. <laughs> okay. Why, <laughs> why do you think... They played the way they did, they did um, at the weekend. Do you th- do you think Bayern have lost something? If so, what is it? Is it like in terms of like various executives moving on, struck like the Bayern DNA behind the scenes isn't there? Because they've got a great coach, they've got some great players. It do- it doesn't feel like I don't know. You necessarily need to rip this all up and start again, but yeah. at the same time, I mean, it felt like that on Saturday. It felt yeah. like this has come to an end. That mm. this is not going to go anywhere because they were so abject. But you're right. By and large, the season has been good. The results have been good. Have the results sort of papered over the cracks? Have the results been better than performances? Quite a few of them have been. But of course, that is also the sign of a very good team that you get lots of good results without necessarily being always at your best. But all the problems that they did have suddenly were very cruelly exposed in this game, partly because Leverkusen were good, but partly because Bayern played so far below their own potential. I mean, you look, go throughout the team and you thought, who had a decent game? And all the usual suspects that always turn up, even they didn't. I mean, Harry Kane was, was incredibly bad. He had 18 touches. And when he dropped deep, he couldn't find anyone. Uh, Leroy Sané tried a few things, nothing came off. Jamal Musiala tried a few things, nothing came off. And then everyone else had a real absolute stinker. What about Leverkusen? Who stood out for them? Grimaldo? Um, Grimaldo, yes. Gabriel was uh, really good. They were all very good. Uh, I thought Shaka did some... Yeah, the goal was quite yeah. incredible. And then he almost scored from a corner as well. Yeah, he, He's a his delivery is, 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 is superb. But I think Granit Xhaka was probably sort of the secret... Right hero of the piece, um, just the way he controlled things, organized things. He has a real presence. You need to actually watch him in the stadium to fully appreciate it because even when he's not on the ball, he does a lot of things. He does a lot of um, organizing and just calmly uh, making sure that Leverkusen are on the right position. So there's two things, James. One is that they played a system that they were very unfamiliar with and I don't think it did them any favors. Everyone afterwards said, look, we should be able to play a system. We're Bayern Munich. But I think a team that hasn't really been that confident in terms of their performances and hasn't really clicked all that often, they didn't seem to be able to make it happen, even though they had a whole week of, of training to prepare for it. The other thing is that Tuchel has, I think, through his focus on a lot of things they're buying cannot do like we don't have a uh, holding midfielder we, we don't do this we don't do that I think has managed to I don't want to say destabilize quite a few players because that would be too strong a word but he hasn't exactly I think breathed a lot of confidence into some of these key players and when you see De Ligt for example who was supposed to be the leader at the back sitting this one out even though Upamecano has just come back from injury. Kim has just come back from the Asian Cup. And Eric Dyer has just come in from sitting on the bench at Spurs. You're thinking, is this the best way to handle your sort of your supposed big players? Right. And he's done similar things. Sorry, James, no, just no. one more word. He's done similar things with Kimmich and Goretzka, 
Why didn't Kimmich start? Why has Tuchel been talking about the fact that he doesn't have the kind of player he wants in midfield when you have not the worst players in the world there at the moment? Shouldn't you try to to help them do something that you need or should you back them and then maybe secretly work on, on a change? Just you have to be so open about the fact that you want somebody else in. So these things, I think, have con contributed to a buying team that just looked so low on confidence. And that's, again, it's not something that we we expect from from Bayern in a, in a, in a big game like that. Mm. Last Bayern manager to lose away to Leverkusen was Julian Nagelsmann. What happened to him a few days later? He got sacked. He was back at the stadium having a good time watching in the stands next to Uri Fuller, uh, this time as Germany national coach. Um, we're not at that point yet. Mm. If that's where you are just wondering. But getting I'm, I'm at, curious that's what you're as getting well at. because uh, these big clubs that are used to winning every year are ruthless in terms of like one year off doesn't really matter they get rid of the manager I remember Juventus sacking Sarri even though they won the league under Sarri considering all of the buzz around Xabi Alonso Liverpool I mean is there a scenario in which Bayern think right okay no more Tuchel let's move for this guy going into the summer another one of his former clubs I mean I'm sure that somebody would have already made a very discreet phone call um, because they, they love Xabi Munich and before he goes somewhere else it's, it'd, be, it'd be a dereliction of duty almost from the people in charge of Bayern not to check if he would be open uh, in case this thing with Tuchel doesn't work out. I think until Saturday again the consensus was that yes Things could be better in terms of the football, but the results are pretty good and uh, we need to give Tuchel a bit more time to get this right. And they, I think they were very prepared to go into the last season with him because he's got a contract till 2025. Now what's happened after this game and the Bundesliga, I don't say it's over, but it's becoming more and more difficult to defend the title. Everything suddenly hinges on, on the Champions League to a much bigger extent. And if they get knocked out by Lazio, mm. God forbid. God forbid. I think that would be the end for, right. for Thomas Tuchel. Yeah, I mean, Lazio. So that game's coming up on Wednesday, the first leg in Rome. It's the former European title Chelsea manager <laughs> winning derby. Yeah, it is. Or Sarri against uh, Thomas yeah. Tuchel. It's also, on a lesser scale, Immobile against Kane. On a much lesser scale. Mm. Oh, I don't know. Immobile, we're, we're fans. He's got a fantastic Just don't compare qualities. Immobile and Kane. Well, uh, did Kane score this weekend? <laughs> no, I don't think no, so. No, no, no. Immobile's on a great run. What's he got on the Champions 200 League? goals in the Serie A. Yeah. This oh, weekend. He's the 200th yeah. fastest player to ever get to that total in the modern era. Mm. Uh, and uh, in the Champions League, he's been on fire as well. Yeah, one goal every 87 minutes. There you go. What, what good, yeah. yeah. His yep. record at Dortmund, actually, in the Champions League yeah. was good. I mean, he's got... He's Goal per game ratio in the Champions League is as good, if not maybe better, than his goal per game ratio in Serie A. Which, again, as much as people typecast him on the basis of flopping at Dortmund, flopping at Sevilla, when he has played at Champions League level, he's performed. And mm. certainly in the group stages, delivered big moments. The goal against Feyenoord, um, brace against Celtic. The problem is, is that... <laughs> He's now, what, 33? And his body is letting him down. Uh, and so 
Maurizio Sarri at the weekend, for example, after the 3-1 win against Cagliari, I think it was only the second time this season that Immobile scored in back-to-back games. And he was like, well, if we can get a run together, mm. then maybe we can actually force ourselves back into the qualification for the Champions League conversation. But Lazio, I mean, Lazio were pretty impressive, albeit against Cagliari and Sardinia at the weekend. I mean, Sarri did say, I think like 80% of Cagliari's points have been at home this season. Mm. They've lost three straight coming to this game. Yeah, but, but we're talking away at Roma at the Centro mm. Olimpico, talking quite a few big games. In Sardinia, they're, they're actually very good. Um, and it was, what, 2-1 going to the final 15 minutes? And you need to have things wrapped up when you play Cagliari and go into the last 15 minutes because all hell breaks loose. They bring on Pavoletti, they score late goals, you end up losing games you should have won. And instead, Lazio are quite mentally solid in this game. Um, but yeah, with all of that, on Wednesday, chances? Maybe at the Look, Olympico? I, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's at the Stadio Olimpico. Um, I, I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't write them off. Naturally, Bayern are, are huge favourites going into this. But they're a handy side. They're a side that is flawed. They, they still haven't replaced Milinkovic-Savic, who left there for Saudi Arabia. That's a big blow for them because the midfield has taken a lot of figuring out. And for a coach like Sarri, so much of your football is, is possession-based not knowing what your best midfield is, not knowing you've got another goal scorer from midfield is an issue. But yeah, let's, you know, I, I, I'd be surprised if, if Lazio reached the quarterfinals, but considering Bayern are in the state that they're in, maybe there is some opportunity. There's a chance, it's, but it's not Lazio's territory lately, the Champions League uh, knockout. They haven't been to a quarterfinal since 2000. Because yeah, Bayern knocked them out last time. <laughs> there you go. But uh, over to, to Bayern for a second, if I may. Mm-hmm. Um, something about Thomas Muller, because I was intrigued about his words after the game. He looked very incensed with the whole situation. He actually looked incensed even from the first goal. He was screaming at his yeah. teammates. Uh, I wonder if, um, if you can uh, let us know a little bit more what uh, Thomas Muller was, was thinking or was saying, because most of the interview was in German, I think. Yeah, yeah, it was all in German. Um, Muller seemed, for the first time, I think, ever actually angry in this interview and he said we don't play football we are passing the ball from A to B to C we're just no one's actually playing with any freedom no one's uh, taking responsibility we're lacking balls he said uh, quoting Oliver Kahn um, famously is he being a populist or he's right no I think it was it was a genuine uh-huh genuine dissatisfaction and, and shock by how poorly Bayern played because he said we had trained brilliantly and in training we see all these things and then when it comes to to a game like this, it's all gone. And of course, that can be read in one or two ways. One, in a literal sense, he was saying there's not enough players who who show up and that's, again, is something that you don't expect from Bayern. I think he meant it, but also... Why is the team so low on energy? Why is this game so slow? I think that even though he said we're not, I'm not going against the, the coach here, in a way he is because the coach is ultimately responsible for the kind of performance that the team have. And if they play on low energy, if they're just passing the ball around, being afraid, being, it all comes down to what he does or doesn't do with a team. So I think Müller tried by, by talking about the players, by talking about responsibility, tried A, to rouse his players into a, a reaction 
and shift the debate towards them. But of course, the nuance or the subtext, if you will, is is not complementary to, to Thomas Tuchel either. And that's why I think it's harder to predict with any confidence that Tuchel will definitely be mm. around next season. All right. Well, another huge game. Well, loads of other huge games actually uh, this weekend. Uh, the next one we're coming on to was the big top two clash in La Liga. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Saturday in La Liga, the top two met. The serial champions Real Madrid effectively telling upstart Girona, playtime is over. 4-0. As emphatic, or perhaps even more so, than Bayern's victory over Bayern, would you say? Um, it was, Girona didn't have a single shot on target. No, and um, Mitchell, who wasn't in, in the dugout, by the way, because he was suspended, uh, admitted that that was too much for them. And uh, he tried to, to attack at Santiago Bernabeu because the lineup was, in my opinion, a, a message. He really wanted to play with the 4-2-3-1 with three um, attacking number well, two forwards, one number 10, four two, and then one uh, main striker, focal point, like uh, Chigankov, but that didn't work. And I think at Girona, for the first seven or eight minutes of the game until Vinicius scored, he scored in the minute, uh, fifth minute, by the way, you could really see that they wanted to invade Real Madrid's half they wanted to play the ball, but then after doing good sequences of passing, at some point somebody has to dribble past somebody. And the likes of um, Sabino, Chiganko, Fanjan, Couto, who had a terrible game, by the way, uh, against Vinicius, they didn't make that individual difference that you don't need sometimes uh, to win games or to cross the ball with a little bit of fetch in the box. They didn't have any of that because Real Madrid was too much for them. And I think Real Madrid's performance the other day was a warning for everyone in Europe. But I was thinking as well that it was a warning for Barcelona, Atletico, and whoever wants to be a domestic title candidate for the next 10 years. 10 years. 10 years, I would say that, yes. Because look at Real Madrid's squad. I mean, the youth is there. I mean, they've got six or seven very important players already who are 23 or younger. Some of them, they are always given an excellent level and their potential is not fulfilled. I'm talking about Camavinga, Rodrigo. Uh, let's see how good Arda Guler is, but he looks very good as well. Vinicius. Ancelotti defined him as the best footballer in the world. I don't know if that's true, but I definitely believe that he's one of the best forwards he's in the world. He's even overlooked Bellingham here. Yeah. He has Incredible. a mention Bellingham. Yeah. Uh, and goals. Bellingham. There mm, you yeah. go. Two, just Bellingham, two goals. He picked an injury at the end. By the way, mm. uh, he picked an injury during the game. He played a bit more, and then he got uh, another knock, I think, in the same place, in the same ankle. Oh. So he's going to be out for three weeks, mm. obviously. The ankle um, is something that you should look after. So I don't think that he's going to be rushed. Uh, in any sort of way, because if Real Madrid can do without um, a player, it's 
maybe a striker or a number 10 because mm. Brahim Diaz coming from the bench he was right. playing that he's playing very well and even Jose who offers the possibility of playing as a number 9 therefore Real Madrid has options up front but the other day I saw one of these performances that uh, uh, show the gulf in level between one side and another there is no title race in La Liga anymore Barcelona has financial difficulties right. Atletico de Madrid lost in the cup on Wednesday, then they lost this weekend as well against Sevilla. There is no title race and the youth is with Real Madrid. And the financial power and the financial muscle is with Real Madrid as well. I think that Barcelona, Atletico, and who knows, another one who could be a potential candidate and trying to think about one, like Real Sociedad, impossible. I think that they are going to find it very difficult to compete with Real Madrid over the next years. Wow. What about this week when Real Madrid will be visiting RB Leipzig? So no Bellingham. Uh, in that game. What kind of Leipzig team awaits them, Rafa? A Leipzig team that's been inconsistent, uh, James. They've had that poor run after winter break, then they won again, and they should have really won the game at uh, Augsburg on Saturday. They were 1-0 down, but took a 2-1 lead. Then they conceded, then they had a chance to to win it uh, later on. Lois Openda missed a penalty, very poor <coughs> penalty, even though he had scored this fanta- fantastic goal before. Yeah, they're not... They're not quite at their best at the moment, but Dani Olmo is back and he had missed a lot of big games for them in the past. And I think his availability for this this big game is is a big boon for Marco Rosa. And I think the partnership of Sheshko and uh, Openda is really beginning to to work very well. So as we said, I think a few weeks ago when we talked about this game or the draw, I think Leipzig can can cause a bit of trouble to Real Madrid. Will they knock them out? It would be a big surprise. But especially in Germany, can they maybe win the first game or keep them to a draw? I think absolutely, yes. My question would be, Jimbo, uh, how good are Leipzig in the air? Because Real Madrid is not having any centre-back available apart from Nacho. Uh, Remember, against Girona, Carvajal and Chouameni have to play as a centre-backs. Nacho is back. But, you know, uh, perhaps the height of Sesco, Openda, uh, they could hurt Real Madrid a little bit. Even though we have to say that Chigankov, who is very tall as well, mm. didn't even uh, have a shot against Real Madrid. Well, were both their goals at Augsburg, I think, were ahead as well, huh? Uh, the Openda goal was definitely a header. Sesco hmm. goal... I think it was. That could be one of the keys, mm. because... When Atletico de Madrid beat yes, Real Madrid, right, it was via crosses. Marcos Llorente, a week ago, uh, scored a, a goal against Real Madrid, a last-minute last minute equalizer as, as well with a header. Maybe this is the best way you can hurt Real Madrid right now until Rudiger and Militao are back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For any Leipzig analysts listening, mm-hmm. just tip off Marco Rosa. There you go. <laughs> oh, Alvaro, while we're on the subject of La Liga, you touched on some of the other results, and there were some pretty interesting ones. Real Sociedad, who will be taking on Paris Saint-Germain uh, this midweek, they got beaten at home to Osasuna. Yeah. Uh, Atletico Madrid lost to Kike Sanchez-Flores' Sevilla, who've now won back-to-back games. And Barcelona had that mad 3-3 draw at Montjuic with Granada. Ooh. Well, it's been a very good weekend in terms of football, surprises, uh, Real Sociedad 
defeat at home was something that uh, nobody was expecting because Arrasate, Osasuna manager, had never beaten Imanol, Real Sociedad manager, so this is the first time. But uh, Real Sociedad coming into the game against Paris, uh, we have to say about them that uh, they have been scoreless for over four games now. Uh, last season they had a similar patch in their form and then they retook again and they resumed normal services again. But... Um, it's a bad moment for Real Sociedad within this season. They are not the complete side that they were in November. Oyarzabal could not be ready for the game against mm. uh, Paris Saint-Germain. So, yeah, the captain may be out, yeah? Yeah. Uh, I guess that maybe that's why today Real Sociedad announced the contract extension of Kubo. Maybe mm. to give some good news after a difficult month for Real Sociedad. But um, I think that the best thing about Real Sociedad uh, coming into the game against Paris is the fact that they do a lot of tactical faults, very intelligent, they pressure up front. In La Liga, Getafe, Real Sociedad, know how to interrupt the game. And if Luis Enrique wants to play from the back and start the game from the back with midfielders, because he doesn't do the 4 2 4 he put into practice against Newcastle, maybe Real Sociedad's pressure can, uh, you know, somehow stop the generation of play uh, by PSG, but I want, that to, I want to see that. Uh, mm. Real Sociedad is not in their best moment, that's for sure. Okay. Uh, Atletico Madrid, meanwhile, losing at Sevilla. They're playing next week in their last hmm. 16 game. That's against Inter. It looks like it's not going to feature Alvaro Morata because he picked up an injury in that defeat. Hmm. And that's a result, by the way, that means that Atletico could lose fourth spot this week, Alvaro, yeah. to Athletic. It depends on us, yeah. Mm. Uh, Athletic Club Bilbao has to beat Almeria. Um, Almeria hasn't beaten anyone this season mm. uh, in the league. And then the next week is Athletic Club Bilbao Girona. Again, that uh, I also think that uh, it's very important because if Athletic Club Bilbao manages to beat Girona, they're going to start setting up some pace and rhythm that maybe is difficult for Atletico to follow. Mm. Um, especially because Atletico will have uh, so many games sandwiched uh, in, within the space of a couple of weeks. But um, yes, I think that uh, the other day Sevilla managed to get their most important win of the season. Quique Sánchez-Flores has a squad that doesn't resemble at all the squad that uh, the previous manager, I forgot his name, Diego Alonso had. Mm. <laughs> really, they have had so many men deliver, Diego Alonso, mm. Lopetegui, uh, now Kike Sánchez Flores. Because this winter, um, Sevilla has offloaded basically the axis of the team, Rakitic and Fernando, between them both, they were about 70 years old. Uh, they offloaded them, and Sevilla is playing with younger players. And one of the young players that no one expected to be there is Isaac, uh, Isaac Romero, the striker. Uh, one of these... Spanish players from the south, uh, from the Andalusian area that Sevilla or Betis sometimes tend to produce. I remember Dani from Betis, I remember Antonito at Sevilla. Uh, not very tall guys, but with the instinct, clever, always managing to find the position in the area. Isaac Romero is this kind of guy. And Kike Sánchez Flores uh, used him as the example that Sevilla should follow. A player who has everything to prove. A player who wants to settle down in uh, Primera División mm -hmm. and uh, he gave three points to Sevilla. Magnificent. Yes, three points, which means they are now six clear of the drop. With Cadiz, uh, Granada and Almeria, who, as you say, have still yet to record a victory this season. I believe the only team anywhere in, in Europe yet to have there must be, had yeah. a win. Or oh, the big, big leagues. And hopefully anyway. they will stay like this for one more week. Oof. Oof. <laughs> now, uh, Real Sociedad... They've got PSG on Wednesday. How are the Parisians looking? Next up, we're joined by Julien Laurent. We're sponsored for this episode of the Totally Football Show by Shopify. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, the Football Content Awards International Podcast of the Year. Wednesday, Paris Saint-Germain hosting Real Sociedad. Julien Laurent joins us now. Jules, PSG Champions League, here we go again. <laughs> here we go again, Jimbo. It's that very stressful time of the year, isn't it? When we get mm. to the last 16. I mean, usually it doesn't go much further than the last 16 in the last few years. So we, so we used to, you know, we used to it. We even saw the ultras uh, turning up a training on Sunday to just give that kind of word of encouragement for the players. Marquinhos took the microphone. Everybody was singing, Kylian, stay in Paris. Kylian, stay in Paris. Uh, Kylian Mbappé, who didn't play at the weekend because he was just rested, but trained fully uh, yesterday and will train again uh, today and then before the game. So he will be ready. And Luis Enrique, who rotated quite heavily the team against Lille on, on Saturday. It was pretty much a B team. But we expect all the big players from Barcola to Mbappe to Marquinhos to, Wa- to Warren Zaire Emery to all be back in the starting lineup for the Real Sociedad game. Okay. Uh, things were a bit shaky in the group stage for Paris Saint Germain, needed uh, pretty fine margins to get through. However, since that defeat uh, away in Milan in, in early November, uh, the Parisians unbeaten 16 games, 12 wins. This weekend, in fact, against Lille was the first time in that entire run that they'd actually gone a goal behind. And, and what a nutmeg, by the way, in the build-up there. Yeah, lovely. I mean, Lille were a great, a great team, a really, really good team. Paulo Fonseca doing a great job there. And it was one of those games where I think uh, 
that PSG were quite worried about going into because Lille home away played really well. It was a 1-1 draw in Lille in the reverse fixture. And we also knew that Luis Enrique would, would rotate and make changes. And as I said, it was a PSG B team. And there was a risk that, that Lille could come to the Parc des Princes a bit like what Nice did earlier in the season and, and do a good job on PSG. In the end, even if they took the lead and it was a, a really good goal, as you said, Thiago Santos on the right and then the cross and, and Yazici with the finish. But PSG played really well after that. They, I think they played as a team properly. And I'm not saying that when Mbappe is there, it's not a team, but we know exactly how he plays. And the team doesn't play the same way that they did on Saturday, where they were really a, a collective, the way they pressed together, the way they, they attacked together, the, 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 even the way they defended together. It's very different than when, when Kylian is on the team, so he will be back. It will be a different PhD team than what we saw on Saturday, being really convincing against Lille. But obviously, the genius that he brings is kind of makes up for what he doesn't bring, I guess, and what PSG do as a, as a team when he's, when he's there and compared to when he's not there. Mm. Broadly, though, Jules, I, I guess the mood around the Parisians or expectations has been pretty low after the performance in the group stage, and, and maybe that's even been hit by the, the news that Mbappe is moving on. But as I say, an incredible run of form, kind of quietly, PSG have really begun to put themselves together. Yeah, you're right. I think there's, a, there's improvement. There's still some vulnerability and you could see and you saw it on that little goal. The first one they scored, it was early in the game. They had already had a decent chance before that. So they, it's not perfect, certainly in transition when they don't have the ball. But with the ball and especially when Dembele is playing, something, something is really good there and happens. Well, at PSG were very, I mean, I don't know if they're clever or not, but yesterday they kind of leaked themselves some numbers about how much PSG are sprinting, how high intensity running they're doing, which is something that we've said many times on the show before. They don't run as much as the others. They don't have that kind of intensity. And I think PSG, to try to change that narrative, they leaked out all those numbers to say like, hey, look, actually we are as good as maybe a Man City, you know, maybe a Bayern Munich in terms of intensity, sprints, high intensity sprints, all of that, which, which is not surprising before, uh, before Champions League week like this where I think they want to to be as positive as possible. Are they going to be as good as Real Sociedad do you think Jules? On paper they should really qualify James they should win they're better Real Sociedad have a lot of big players missing we're not sure if Oyarzabal is going to come back or not but really Mm. on paper even with the second leg in Spain PSG should with all their big stars there all the the main players there should have enough really to, to to, to beat them over two legs. But again, with PSG, you never know. That's the thing. They're so unpredictable at times. Jules, you're about to jump onto a train. But before you go, in Ligue 1, PSG's lead now extended to 11 points because Nice lost Sunday night against their neighbours, Monaco, in the highest scoring Riviera derby in almost two decades. It was an incredible game, James. He finished 3-2 to Monaco. Denis Zakaria scored two amazing goals, especially the first one. And Monaco, who were under pressure, Adi Hutter under a lot of pressure after they lost on Thursday night to, to Rouen in the French Cup, a third, third division team, really came good collectively, I thought. They just fought for each other. It made a lot of sense, the performance. And Nice played great. They were maybe a bit unlucky to lose that game. A draw probably would have been a fair result. But it's a huge win for Monaco. And you said 11 points between PSG and Nice in second. So the title is gone. However, the race for second, third, fourth, fifth, it's going to be really, really interesting until the end of the season with Brest, Nice, Monaco, and then maybe another team coming from, from below in the, in the table. So that, that race, that, that, that one would be very interesting. 
Excellent. I think I hear your train being announced, Jules. <laughs> safe travels. And uh, look forward to catching up with you next week. Definitely. See you later. Bye-bye-bye. Listen out on Tuesday is the Athletics Women's Football Podcast, which is full-time Europe, in which, amongst other things, they're going to be looking at the Classique in France, Lyon against Paris Saint-Germain, which was uh, quite the dramatic finish there. Lyon scoring a 90th-minute equaliser. That and much, much more in full-time Europe out on Tuesday. A little bit later on, we'll be hearing about the extraordinary Ivory Coast and their 2-1 victory Sunday night over Nigeria. From Daniel Story, who was there to witness it. Now, though, big game on Saturday. Another big game on Saturday. What a Saturday evening it was. Inter, the City Air leaders, travelled to the Stadio Olimpico to take on Daliani de Rossi's Roma. What a, what a game this was. Esattamente, al quarto minuto, nel corso della ripresa, cambia ancora il parziale allo Stadio Olimpico di Roma. This game tends to produce. Remember at the end of the 90s when you had Zenic Zeman's Roma against Roy Hodgson's Inter. And what was it, 5-4, that game? That was an amazing game. Ronaldo. I my mother to that game. <laughs> yeah, it was a Thursday night in Rome. Yeah. What Incredible a game, game to take Mrs. Richardson to. Yeah, yeah. No, it was. Uh, but you're right. There been, uh, the Totti goal. We can't talk about oh. Inter Roma without the Totti chip. Yeah. 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 This, though, hmm. saw Roma, who you know, changed managers and looked like they were a little bit revitalized as a result. 2-1 uh, up at halftime. Yeah. But then the Nerazzurri kind of roaring back in the, in the Roman reign to go all Peter Drury on you. Yeah, what a downpour. Uh, Daniel De Rossi not putting on a kind of yeah. overcoat in the first half, just stood out there stood taking there. the rain. Yeah. <laughs> and I think Roma actually played well, uh, particularly for, for an hour. Uh, and they, you know, since Mourinho was sacked, they've started playing a back four, play higher up the pitch, get Dybala and Lukaku closer to goal, and it's kind of been working. But in this game, they changed. They went to a, a back three, and it kind of surprised Inter a little bit. Roma took a few risks. And, you know, it looked to have paid off with that Gianluca Mancini opening goal and then El Shawari, who has been kind of underrated, having a pretty good season uh, for Roma. But a little bit of controversy with one of the Inter goals and just how good Inter are. Inter can play well for 15 minutes. They can go to an altogether different level and just take the game away from whoever they're playing against. And I think they did that. I mean, for them to come roaring back in the way that they did, yet another statement from this team, which has won every game uh, in 2024. Uh, Francesco Acerbi, the former Lazio centre-back, um, scoring to get them back into the game. Forced and then, out after smiling after a def derby defeat. Yeah, it? and I wonder if his reaction mm. uh, on... Uh, on Saturday evening where he basically turns around and gives the middle finger mm. to the uh, Roma hardcore. Mm. I, I wondered how much of that was in his mind, James, how oh. bad things had ended for him at Lazio. When he, 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 he wasn't a Lazio icon, but he's certainly someone who had a great career at Lazio and everything soured at the end and he ended up moving to Inter where, you know, Worked, out pretty, well. worked yeah. out pretty well. But I do wonder if, if, if the middle finger raised to the, to, to the Roma Ultras was maybe a way of, of, of currying favour again mm. with, with the Laziali. Simone Inzaghi was not on the bench uh, for this game, uh, but at half-time with his team 2-1 down, apparently he appeared 
on like a Zoom call or something um, to, to, to give them a, uh, a rollicking. Um, and he's not allowed to do that. So uh, Alessandro Bastoni, the center back after the game, would say, oh, yes, you know, the mister, yeah, yeah. all of a sudden appears on the screen at half time, gives us this incredible rousing speech. And, and we go out there and turn the game around. Um, and then Inzaghi's assistant was like, no, no, he never appeared on a Zoom call. No, no, we didn't hear anything from him uh, and all this sort of thing. So Inter, uh, yeah, perhaps facing a couple of uh, investigations by the... not smuggled in in a laundry basket. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> by the Italian uh, Football Federation's Disciplinary Commi- uh, Commission for the Acerbi uh, middle finger and Inzaghi. But yeah, again... Yeah, into going seven points clear because yeah. uh, Juventus play uh, tonight before we, uh, after we record. Um, but yeah, really fun game. Uh, there's a lot of fun stuff in, in City. Mm. We'll, we'll talk about some of the other things. Just yeah. to say, into the last five games, uh, they beat Lazio, they beat Napoli, they beat Fiorentina, they beat Juventus, and now the Gialorossi. Juve, who played this evening against Udinese, now only one point ahead of Milan. So that's second place, which looked absolutely secure. Maybe not quite so much. Milan Sunday night getting a narrow but uh, uh, very gratefully received uh, victory over Napoli. Teo Hernandez scoring the only goal there. They're going to be up against Rennes in the Europa League on Thursday. Roma, meanwhile, will have got Feyenoord again. Beautiful Feyenoord. game, by the way. I mean, yeah. it's the third time they, in third three, time in three seasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I must say I'm really looking forward to watching a rerun of this game all over again. I mean, no, look, I mean... You are right, Alvaro. I mean, Roma have a different look to them under De Rossi. They're a much more attacking proposition. They're much better to watch um, with this couple. I mean, we should mention Lukaku's moment. Yeah. Lukaku, who missed a chance in this game, was pretty anonymous, really, throughout criticism coming his way as well. I think there's an obvious feeling that Roma are not in a position to sign him on a permanent basis at the end of the season anyway. They went on this weird sort of winter not even a tour to Saudi but they went to play a friendly there in which Lukaku was like I think the Saudi Pro League in the next two years is going to be the best league in the world Hmm. uh, and all that sort of thing everyone's saying it (laughs) but uh, Lukaku not great which you know I mean when to be honest the only thing he is great at I say the only thing that's facetious where he really raises his game is in the Europa League he has an incredible record in that Um, but so let's see. And then, as you mentioned, I mean, Milan, who last week launched, I think, one of the best novelty jerseys or fourth jerseys that we've seen uh, of late. In t- so against Napoli, they played in the black version. Of oh, it, right. OK. Mm. Which is like this kind of uh, slightly gothic. Uh, it takes its inspiration from the, the facade of the, uh, the Duomo. But they have an ivory one as well, which is just beautiful. Mm. Um, Milan very much want to win the Europa League they've never won it before mm. uh, partly because they're a team that has built its history its legend in, in winning the Champions League seven times they were rarely in the UEFA Cup um, but they've got an opportunity to win it they are kind of on an island uh, or they were until they've got closer to Juventus it's kind of an island in third place they're so far ahead of Atalanta in fourth that they can kind of have a free hit um, at the Europa League um, and They've got some great momentum, you know. I mean, sometimes the performances haven't been all that convincing. Their results have been better than performances. But only on two occasions have Milan had more points at this stage of the season than they do today. Um, You know, we're talking sort of 
mid 90s and 0304 really? which is very yes. surprising mm. it goes yes. to not show, even when they won the title yeah yeah and it goes to show how well kind of inter are doing yeah um so um so yeah and after a lot of rumors around stefano pioli's uh future mm. and you know sort of our conte this conte that uh pioli who's i think maybe three or four times been in a position at milan where it feels like he's close to losing his job and yet he always finds a way to pull it back. Maybe he's finding a way to pull it back all over again. We saw that with Inzaghi, Simone Inzaghi. Not Pippo. Not Pippo. And in fact, we probably should mention, Daniel Di Rossi's generally been positive, his impact down uh, in Rome, but the other managerial swaps of late haven't worked out quite so well. There is a mitigating factor of who Cagliari had been playing, but four straight defeats there, uh, back in the bottom three there in 19th spot. Uh, you've got... Pippo Inzaghi at Salernitana, they are now six points from safety, cannot get a result. The one kind of outlier in all this is Davide Nicola with Empoli, <laughs> who have not lost since he arrived. And uh, what did they do this weekend? It was a big result. They beat it? Salernitana. Beat Salernitana, Pippo Salernitana. Yeah. Which in hindsight, I think should have been the moment of the weekend. Because Davide Nicola, we've mentioned him a few times, is this kind of Houdini figure who always gets teams out of the most difficult of Bynes and the most recent feat of escapology that he did was at Salernitana and they sacked him thought twice about it brought him back then sacked him again and he gets the Empoli job because Empoli were in dire straits at risk of relegation you mentioned he's been unbeaten since he's been there they go to play at Salernitana uh, on Friday night and they win and uh, Pippo Inzaghi gets the sack on the back of that. And Nicola, again, is this kind of highlander of just like sort of um, just comes in. You can't relegate this guy. Uh, and and Salernitana needs someone to keep them up. And they can't play the Davide Nicola card because... And, and I can't remember how many points Salernitana have got at the moment, but the last team to stay up with that many points was a team coached by Davide Nicola. It was Crotone. Um, so, yeah, you, this guy, in terms of, like, specialists, mm. I don't know like, whether he's, like, Liam Neeson in Taken or something like that, where he's got a very specific set of skills. And that, that is just keeping teams down the bottom up. Mm. He's just unbelievable at it. I would love to see him get, like, a job with, like, AC Milan, Juventus, or yeah. Inter, and see... If, can you take him outside of his specialism mm. and what would he do in that context? I don't know. Because fantastic. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> Magnificent. All right, well, that's, um, that's enough of our European coverage. We're going to finish up today with a special report from the Côte d'Ivoire. Uh, Daniel Story joins us next to talk about the AFCON final. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The AFCON final scenes Sunday night at the Olympic Stadium in Bimpe as host nation Ivory Coast beat the favourites Nigeria 2-1 coming from behind, of course. They were pretty happy. So was Daniel Story, who joins us now. Daniel. Hi, James. Hi. Zombie Nation are champions. <laughs> they are indeed. Les revenants. Uh, yeah, I mean... It was a spectacular final. It was the final that we all secretly wanted, which was Ivory Coast trailing and then coming from behind to win to continue their reputation. 
I'm glad William Trusty Kong scored. He was named player of the tournament. He's been brilliant for weeks and he didn't deserve this. But just those moments from, from Simon Odingra, from Frank Kessie, from, from Simon Haller, who um, has been through his own, you know, very obvious and very public um, <laughs> struggles over the last 18 months. For MSA Fay, I think that's a, a world record, winning your first major trophy in your fourth game as a manager. It had everything and we kind of suspected it would. Tell us about the build-up on your way to the stadium with this, this nation who'd seen their team come back from defeat again and again, reaches improbable final. What, what was the atmosphere like? Oh, it was extraordinary. Um, they advised media and supporters to start getting to the stadium from five or six hours before kickoff. The roads to the stadium are from about a mile and a half away. If you're on foot, which most people were, you just have to walk in the heat to the stadium. But it's just this kind of flood of orange and white. Across Abidjan for, for the last two weeks, there's been a kind of building sense of um, sort of party and celebration. And to be honest, it, it came across before the game. It, it felt like pride before a fall. They were celebrating before the game and were a bit worried that maybe maybe something was kind of gonna, about to be a bumpy fall here. But they, that definitely carried them through. The, the noise in the stadium was like nothing I've ever heard. The, go, the, the sound for Kessie and Alaire's goal and for, for when the president came out before the game and when Didier Drogba came out before the game for his party. Uh, he was sort of running around the VIP area celebrating the goals. It was, it was just one party atmosphere. And I think they felt untouchable. And, and in the end, they were right. Nigeria were kind of the team who didn't come out for the game, even though they did take the lead. Is that, do you think that they were suffering from fatigue for the, for the tournament? I think so. That's certainly the theory of, of Nigerian journalists after the game. Whether that is a, a kind of method of self-preservation or not, I don't know. But they were saying this after the quarterfinal, that the team looked quite tired. Jose Passero is a, is a Jose Portuguese manager. He is a, a fairly pragmatic guy who's prepared to use press conferences to talk up his own abilities. I think he got it slightly wrong last night. I think they were too defensive from the start and then really too defensive after they took the lead because as soon as the Ivory Coast equalised, it, it looked like Nigeria didn't have another gear and it felt like a winner was inevitable and so it proved. I think he got it slightly wrong. But yeah, those Nigerian journalists talk about fatigue and also we should say that the two defining players of the last quarter of the final were Simon Adingra and Seb Haller, who didn't play really in the group stages because of, of injuries and, and a lack of fitness. So they came in at the right time and gave the host that boost they needed. All right, particularly Haller. If anyone encapsulates this kind of triumph over adversity story, it is Haller with, as you mentioned, everything that he's been through. And of course, it was him who would pop up with the magnificent winner. There were no replays in the stadium, so we were left kind of slightly scratching around for how that goal had happened because it looked distinctly weird. You know, Adingo does brilliantly, but his cross is higher than Haller would like and it's be before the front post that the Haller meets it. And the angle of the shot made it look like it must have got a huge deflection off Trouste Kong's shoulder, maybe. But actually, you look at the replays, and not only does he get a stud on the ball, but he kind of directs it. He flicks his ankle in the only way he could score that goal, I think. Uh, he, he's missed some chances this tournament, Seb Haller, but boy, has he been in the right place at the right time when it's counted. 
it was an incredible goal to win an incredible game. The, the World Cup final, I think, a lot of people thought that couldn't be bettered as a, as a tournament finale. But in terms of the story, a side that loses two of their three group stage games, then sacks the manager, brings in a guy who's never managed a serious game before, comes within a goal from another team of not even making it out of the group anyway, and then wins the final in this manner. Is it the greatest victory that, that you've ever seen in a tournament? Yeah, it certainly feels like it uh, the night of and the morning after, for sure. Um, even in the knockout stages, you know, they trailed for 80-odd minutes in the last 16. They trailed going into injury time in the quarterfinal and won, uh, and then just grew into the tournament when it mattered. I mean, Faye, for somehow, from everything we've seen, wasn't in tears at the end of the game last night, which he's a stronger man than I am. Um, but yeah, I mean, clearly the, the World Cup has this kind of more global appeal and that final was astonishing because of the Mbappe and Messi duopoly but yeah as a sporting tale when we kind of need one in 2024 uh, was yeah it was a mini miracle from start to finish for, for Cote d'Ivoire mm. It's given your soul a colonic Daniel <laughs> Yeah now I just need to get over this head cold and 33 hour journey home and I'll feel right as rain Brilliant be ready for Forrest and the relegation battle Excellent <laughs> Just about, yeah. I'll go and watch Ola Aina and Ibrahim Sangari and it won't feel quite the same. Nice. We look forward to catching up with you when you make it back. Safe travels. Yeah, speak soon, James. Looking forward to seeing Daniel back uh, next Sunday, actually. Back on the Premier League beat. What a game, what a story. What a magnificent business that whole Ivory Coast campaign was. Uh, lovely stuff. Excellent. Avro, we'll be seeing you next Tuesday. I'll be there later. Oh, no, here. actually, Monday will be an early because it's Europe next week. So, yeah, Monday for our Totally Euro show. James, you and I are going to be flanking Michael Owen for the Champions League highlights on TNT. So that's something you will, listener, I know, want to tune in for. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Ask him about yeah. Jude Bellingham, uh, surpassing his scoring record in La Liga. Oh, yeah, I'll throw that in. <laughs> he did it in 24 sure games. All right, yeah, that, that'll be something. Uh, then on Thursday, Raf, you'll be in as well for what looks set to be an especially bumper goal show because we're doing the entire Europa and Europa Conference League playoff first leg. So that's how many games is that? 16 games, I think? 1,600. 1,600 games. Yeah. It's going to be some goals there, I, I think. Anyway, perhaps you'll join us for that, listener, or maybe you'll hang... Hang back till next Tuesday, whenever it is that we see you again. Hope you have a great time for now. From all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.